has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Before me, like a tender and like a root out of dry ground. Like no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Starting over. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sours. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank you. Thank you, Martha. So how do I sound out there, okay? Kind of wavy? We doing all right? All right. Shake your head if you can hear me. Yeah? Okay, wonderful. All right, hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. And so, uh, time to pull out your Bibles. There should be a Bible in the pew front or a pew back in front of you if you don't. And uh, most of the text should be on the screen. We have been in a series called Follow Me in the Gospel of Mark. And we come to part nine of the Gospel of Mark, Follow Me. As Jesus says, follow me and serve others. Again, uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter nine. We're going to start in verse 30. Mark chapter 9, verse 30 is where we are going to begin. So as you're flipping there, um, I would ask you uh, to go ahead and find that. And uh, we're going to pray, and uh, we'll dive in this morning. Father, thank you so much for a wonderful morning. Thank you for um, a baptism that we've experienced together this morning. Thank you for Patrick and his willingness to, uh, to be obedient to Christ and uh, to follow you in baptism. We're very grateful for what that symbolizes and for the new life that you've given him and 
for the, uh, the baptism which that symbolizes. Uh, we ask, Father, that you would come now and be among us. Uh, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would please um, open our eyes, help us to see what it is that you would have us to see. Would you come and accompany your word and, uh, and come in power, Holy Spirit, so that we can please understand and be transformed. Uh, would you convict us where we need convicting? Would you encourage us where we need encouraging? Would you enlighten us and illuminate our hearts and minds uh, where that's necessary? And above all, Holy Spirit, would you help us to glorify Jesus? That's what you do. And so we want him to be made great and to be looked good and to be delighted in. Jesus, you indeed are worthy <coughs> of our worship, of our following, of all that we are. And so help us to heed your words today. Be among us, uh, Jesus, as we are your people uh, bought by the blood uh, that you shed for us on Calvary. And so we ask that in your great name. Amen. Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to be, is uh, part 9 of follow me. Jesus tells us, follow me, serve others. I want to begin this morning just uh, with a bit of an interactive time. And so I'm going to ask you guys to kind of raise your hand uh, in response. And so uh, it doesn't work if you don't do that. Here in a moment, I'm going to show you guys um, some pictures, and it's kind of a gut game, right? And what I mean by that is gut reaction. Uh, I want you to share, just kind of respond uh, with your gut reaction. I'm going to show you guys several pictures of people. Some of them you might recognize, some of them you might not. But the question that I want you to respond to is simply this. If you see their image and something inside of you says, great, they're great, They're considered to be great. You think that they are great. If the word great describes them, then I want you just to slip up your hand in response. Uh, No right or wrong answers per se. Um, And if you don't, then don't. Uh, But we're going to play this game. And so the first one I think you'll probably know is this person great. Oh, we're we're close to Chicago. You know, if we lived in Dallas, they'd be like, who's that guy? I don't know. (laughs) We're talking about Dirk, right? Okay, great. Yeah, I think most of us think this guy's great. Probably the greatest basketball player that ever lived. Uh, What about this next person? Great or not? Okay, less of you know who who is this? Steve Jobs. And he was what? He was the Apple guy, right? Apple guru, yep, just recently died. Uh, Great in the sense of not only was he uh, incredibly wealthy, but extremely successful in his trade. Uh, Great certainly at uh, at innovation. What about this next person? Great? Okay, no takers, right? You guys don't know who these people are, so let me introduce you to them. This is one of my good friends from college, and uh, his name's Eric, and her name's Christy, and they're the Robinsons. Uh, I went to Texas A&M with him, and he was a, uh, I believe he was a computer engineer major. Now, I don't know much about computers or computer engineers other than the fact that they get really good jobs, and that they're really smart, and that he was at the top of his class. He was, he is, I don't, shouldn't say was, what is, a uh, brilliant, brilliant guy, and, and I don't know what her major was, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, something uh, heady as well. Uh, he had a bright, bright future uh, in the field of computer science. In fact, I remember talking to him, and he talked about how he was uh, being uh, courted by all of these different companies, and he, he had you know, a straight and narrow path towards major success. Well, instead of doing that, uh, he met his wife, and they decided to go into campus ministry, and so they work for Campus Crusade now. They worked uh, at Texas A&M Campus Crusade, and the really cool thing about Eric is and Christy is that they started essentially a ministry among Hispanic students at Texas A&M called Destino. 
I think. <laughs> and uh, uh, recently, they actually took the national leadership position. So they are heads over this national ministry. And their heart is not only to reach Hispanic students, but to reach Hispanic students for the nations. And so what they do is they go and they reach Hispanic students and they say, you would be a great missionary in the Arab nations. You would be wonderful in the Philippines. And so their heart is to serve the nations by enabling and calling Hispanic students. Um, are they great? We'll see. Next, next. Great. Who's that guy? <laughs> the Don. Is that what they call him, Donald Trump? Uh, nobody thought he was great? Okay, I'll raise my hand. I think he's great, uh, simply in the, in the sense of he's extremely wealthy. Uh, we think he's great because he is a multi-billion, jillion, quadrillion, whatever. He's got a lot of money, right? Great. What about the next person? Who are these people? Don't know? Yes, they are. They are our missionaries. Newsletters, people. That's right. Thank you. There are missionaries. Uh, Chuck and Carol Captain, I think, or is it Captain? Captain? Is that right? How you say it? Captains. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, they work, and I think it was pri- primarily Carol. She works in uh, Papua New Guinea, I think, and what I understand is that she works on Bible translation, and so what she does, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but what she does is she goes into local tribes where they don't have a Bible in their own language, and what she does is she works tirelessly, effortlessly, certainly for a number of years, just to translate a part of the Bible. And so what you have sitting in front of you, that thing in your lap that's just so easily convenient, they go and they serve people who don't have a Bible. And that's what they do. So we can move on past that and uh, get into our sermon. But the question then that this little game uh, has brought to mind is, what is true greatness? And what makes a person truly great? You know, uh, in our world, power Money, position, fame, prestige, all of these things, when a person has them, we consider them to be great. When they have authority, we consider them to be great. But this morning, Jesus is going to come along and he's going to say, you know what true greatness is? True greatness is serving others. That's what he's going to say. True greatness is serving others. I want to show you a quick chart. Uh, just like we saw last week, we're in the midst of what I call Discipleship 201. It's three more rounds of Christ pouring into his disciples, teaching them, training them uh, along the way. And so last week we saw a passion prediction, we saw puzzled pupils, and we saw several points to ponder. Well, we're going to see more of that. In fact, we're going to see two rounds of passion predictions. Jesus is going to predict his death in increasing detail. Second, we're going to see two more rounds of puzzled pupils. They are going to be utterly confused by Jesus saying, hey, I'm not going to reign and rule in Jerusalem. I'm going to die for the sins of the world in in Jerusalem. And then finally, we're going to see several more points to ponder, several more, more points to ponder. But the main point, the main point to ponder that Jesus says, in fact, the main teaching of this whole entire section, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 30, all the way to the end of chapter 10, the main thrust as I see it He repeats it, and so I think he makes it clear. His main point today is going to be this. To follow me, you must serve others. If you're taking notes, jot that down. That's the point. To follow me, you must serve others. And so let's jump in then. Round two. Remember, three rounds of Discipleship 201, and we begin with a passion prediction starting in Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 30 through 31. Jesus is going to share with them again, this is what's going to happen. Recall, if you will, from last Sunday, Jesus is going to help them understand a couple questions. Number one, uh, the first question that they already answered is, who, who is Jesus? They got it right. He's the Messiah. He's the divine Son of God. So then he's going to uh, try to get them to uh, correctly answer 
answer a couple more questions. What will the Messiah do? You've got it right. I am the Messiah. What will he do? And then thirdly, not only what will he do, but what must I do? What must I do to follow him? What must we do to follow a crucified Savior? And so what he's going to do in this first passion prediction is try to bring some increasing clarity to the first question. What will the Messiah do? Starting in verse 30. 930. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. And so what we see in the first little section is Jesus, again, has a passion prediction. This one is more general. In fact, it's very general. It's not specific at all. There were more specifics in the first one, but essentially the the details are interesting. They're heading from the north down to the south. Uh, In Mark's gospel, from here on out, the direction is the cross. They're on the path, and they're heading to Jerusalem, and the destination is the cross. And so they're heading south, and he takes the opportunity along the way, as they're walking all those many miles, he, he wants to teach them. And so he, he's reminding them for the second time, this is what is going to happen to the Messiah. This is what Christ is going to do. He's going to die. He's going to be delivered over to the hands of men, generally speaking, and then he's going to rise. And so along the way, imagine this, they're walking many miles, certainly much time to talk, and he's using this as a teaching moment. And so the question becomes, do they get it? Will they understand Jesus' passion prediction? Well, in verse 32, we're going to find out. So let's read this together as we, uh, once again, see they are puzzled. Verse 32, but, it's an important word, but they did not understand what he meant and we're afraid to ask him about it. So what we see is that we have some more puzzled pupils. They don't understand. They don't get it. Now, I don't know why. The text is unclear. All we know is that they didn't quite understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Um, Maybe it's possible they just didn't quite get it. Maybe uh, the news that the Messiah will not rule and will not conquer and will not throw out the Romans, maybe that's just, they can't compute. Maybe they just can't get it. And so they just genuinely, they don't understand. That's, that's certainly a possibility. Um, it's certainly possible that they did not want to understand. It's very possible that they did not want to hear what Jesus was telling them, and so they just blocked it out. They just didn't hear it. Now, uh, this happens in my household quite a bit. Um, I heard as I was getting uh, ready back there after the baptism, my son uh, had a little bit of a fit. Uh, and so, uh, story uh, along those lines. Um, this happens from time to time in my household when my son says something like, Dad, I want, a, I want a banana to eat. And I say, Asher, I'm sorry, we don't have a banana. You'll have to eat something else. And he says, I want a banana to eat. And I said, Asher, we don't have any bananas. And he says, I want a banana to eat. And I'm like, you are not hearing what I'm telling you. We do not have bananas to eat in this household. That may have been what's going on. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. I want to rule with you. I'm going to die. Can I have the best place in the kingdom? I'm going to die, (laughs) right? Maybe they just refused to hear it. Or there's another possibility. And the possibility is, is that along the way, as they're traveling on the path, heading towards Jerusalem, it could be that they were preoccupied. 
It could be that they were so engaged in the conversation that they were having that they just didn't understand what he was saying and they just kind of brushed it off. They were afraid to ask him about it and they were engaged in their own conversation because as we continue on with points to ponder, we're going to see in verses 33 through 37 that they were having a conversation of their own. Let's read that and we're going to find out just exactly, and we're going to touch that on that a second, just exactly what they were talking about. Verse 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And so we're going to see several points to ponder. In fact, if we can pull that up, Jesus then begins to address their conversation. It may have been that they were just preoccupied with what they were talking about on the road. We're going to talk about that in a second. This, uh, we come to points to ponder. Remember, there's a passion prediction, uh, there's puzzled pupils, and then Jesus teaches them, he instructs them on several points on discipleship. In this large section, he has several points to ponder. If you're taking notes, jot these down. We're not going to talk at all about them, but I uh, encourage you to go back and and check them out. He wants to make several points. We're going to focus on the first. The first point that he makes, and then he repeats it later in this section, is I must serve others. If I want to follow a crucified Christ, I must serve others. He goes on to talk about Point number two, I must settle with others. I must settle with others. And he goes on to talk about the importance of having healthy, good relationships among Christians. Third, I must support marriage, as he talks about uh, marriage. Verse four, uh, number four, I must have sincere faith. I must have sincere faith, as he talks about having faith like a child. And then number five, I must reject self-righteousness with the story of the rich man. I must reject self-righteousness. Let's Talk about the first one. It's the predominant theme in this large section. Points to ponder. If I want to follow Christ, I must serve others. And so can you just imagine how this must have gone down? Remember in verse 33, they come to Capernaum and they come into a house. So it's a private setting, right? Jesus is alone. He's with his disciples and maybe a few people whom, to whom house uh, it was. It might have been Peter's house. We don't really know. Um, but they're in a house and he asks them, what is a penetrating question, right? It's one of those questions that when you hear it, you're like, oh, I don't want to respond to that, right? And he asks them, hey, guys, I heard you talking as we were traveling. What, what were you talking about? I mean, I, in fact, I, I heard the conversation was getting kind of heated. It was getting pretty, pretty tense. What were you arguing about? And it's a question that is intended to get them to understand that they were doing wrong. It's a question that was intended to help them to see that they did not at all heed his passion prediction. Guys, when we go to Jerusalem, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and he will be killed and he will rise again. Just imagine he's walking along the way and and they're talking and he says, hey guys, let me talk to you a little bit. And they continue to walk and, and the conversation goes maybe something like this. Peter, you know what? 
I am the leader of the group, guys. I really think that when he comes to Jerusalem, I am going to be the guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be chief next to Christ. And then James and John says, well, you know what? We were with you on the Mount of Transfiguration, so I think at least we're going to have a play in this. In fact, we're related to him, so I think we're going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then Judah says, hey, I, I watched the money. I'm going to be, he trusts me. I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Matthew pipes in and he says, you know what, guys? I was a tax collector before and I knew a lot of big wigs. I'm used to, you know, being around important people. I'm going to be the greatest. And they start to talk and fight amongst themselves as they're going to Jerusalem, which he told them he was going to die and they are preoccupied. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the best? Who's going to be most prominent? And this is one of those questions that when you're asked the question, you don't talk. You're like, oh, zip, <laughs> right? Because you know you're wrong. And so using my son once again, there are times when uh, he is disobeying and we are uh, telling him that and my wife makes the point of question and it kind of gets his attention. She says, Asher, are you disobeying me? When we use that word, he, oh, something clicks. Are you disobeying me? And he stops and he doesn't respond. <laughs> he's, he's silent, right? He doesn't want to admit that he is disobeying his mom. That's the kind of scene that I picture here. Guys, you really talking about that? And they were ashamed into silence. And then he illustrates this point. He, he uses this as a teaching moment. He says, listen, guys, you have to redefine what greatness is. You're arguing about who's going to be the best, who's going to be the greatest. You know what? The greatest among you is, is going to be the servant. Notice what he says, starting in verse 9, uh, verse 34. But they, they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who is the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve, so he's teaching them like a rabbi. Anyone who wants to be first... That is, if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, you must be the very last. That is, you must be the servant of all. So he says, you know what? Here's the deal. You guys are all fighting about who's going to be greatest in this kingdom of mine. Well, guess what? If you want to be greatest in my kingdom, then you need to be last. You need to be a servant to everyone. And then he illustrates this by taking a child into his hands. Now, at first we're like, what's that all about, you know? Um, But here's the deal. In that culture, children were considered the least significant, the least important of people, uh, a very uh, minimal uh, worth, if you will. And so he says, listen, you need to be a servant of all, even a child. (laughs) You even need to serve somebody as small and low as a little child. And if you receive them, then you receive me, and then you receive uh, the one who sent me. And so he says, if you want to be the greatest, if you really want to be great, guys, then listen, you need to be a servant. And so that concludes round one. Let's jump into round, uh, round two, excuse me. Let's jump into round three because what we're going to see is a reiteration of this. He's going to share, again, through a passion prediction, through puzzled pupils, and through points to ponder that true greatness is defined not by money, not by prestige, not by fame or position or authority, but by service. So let's read this together. We have, again, a passion predicted. Jesus predicts for the third time that he's going to die and rise. Verse 32. Chapter 10. So flip with me. One head. 10, verses 32 through 35. Chapter 10, verses 32 through 35. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. 
They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And so we get what is the third passion prediction. It's really the most detailed of the passion predictions. Aside from what we've learned already, we find out that he's going to be handed over to the Romans. So that's how he's going to die. He's going to be handed over to pagan Roman authorities who are then, with great detail, they're going to mock him, spit him, uh, spit on him, flog him, and then kill him. And so we have this full picture now of what exactly is going to happen. And when we continue to read through the Gospel of Mark, we find out But that's exactly what happened. That's exactly how he died. And so he predicts his passion once again. And the question is in our minds, are they going to get it this time? They've heard it three times. They've been puzzled. They've been confused. Instead of responding appropriately, they seek their own ambition, their own desires, their own status, their own greatness. Are they going to get it? Is, Is a third time the charm? Well, let's find out. Let's read together verses 35 through 41 as we see once again some very puzzled pupils. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came uh, to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) Let that sink in a little bit. What do you want me to do for you, he asked, with much grace. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, referring to his death? We can, they ask. (laughs) Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. You are going to die, guys, for me. You just don't know it. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those who have been for whom it has been prepared. And so we see for a third time a set of very confused disciples. They don't get it. As if it were bad enough to be on the road and arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom when Jesus is like, I'm going to die. Two of them, James and John, have the gall to take it a step further. Not only are they arguing, yeah, I'm going to be the best, I'm going to be the greatest, I'm going to have the highest position, They go and they ask him. Essentially, I'm not going to go on at length here, but essentially they're saying, when you set up your kingdom, when you overthrow uh, the Romans, when you establish a rule of, of peace and righteousness and justice, can we sit on your right and your left? And those are the places of prominence. It's like number one and number two behind the head honcho, right? So they are seeking their own positions for personal gain. And so he essentially says, you don't know what you're talking about. No, it's not for me to give. And so he talks about their confusion. And then he follows it up with a final point to ponder. And it's the same point to ponder that we've seen the first round. This is Jesus' main emphasis. He says, to follow me, you must serve others. Let's read this point to ponder in verses 42 through 41. We'll start in verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Yeah, can you imagine? Can you imagine how that played out? So like Jesus is over here and James and John, I I think, uh, you know, it was portrayed well in the video. Jesus is over here and James and John, they kind of sneak away from the group and they're like, teacher, we've got a favor to ask you. He's like, okay, what is it? Can we, you know, those guys are over there. Can we be the greatest in your kingdom? And (laughs) it's just amazing that they ask this. And then he says, listen, let me instruct you. Let me tell you what this is going to look like. 
When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And so somehow they got wind of it. I don't know exactly what it looks like. I don't know how it happened. But somehow the other ten who were over there heard what the other two who were over here were doing. They found out, oh, not only were we arguing about who is the greatest, they're actually doing something about it. And they were furious. Now, why were they furious? They were furious because they didn't think about it first. (laughs) They were furious because they, oh, we should have asked him that. And they were so angry because they wanted those positions. And so Jesus now teaches them, gives them a point to ponder in verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom. For many. And so he gives them what is a repeat point to ponder. He, he essentially says, listen, if you, in this world, people who are great, they have authority, they have position, and they lord it over those under them. That is, they use them to their advantage. They don't serve them for their good. They use them for their own personal gain, right? And he says, listen, that's not what leadership looks like. That's not what greatness in my kingdom looks like. What greatness in my kingdom looks like is that you serve other people for their personal gain. And then he even says, he gives himself as the ultimate example. He says, listen, even I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served. So think about that just for a second. If anyone on earth has the right to be served rather than to serve, it had to be Jesus. I mean, it had to be the Son of God. Look, I have every right for everyone to serve me, but I have come to serve, and so it's not below you. That's what he's saying. It's not below you to serve, and if you want to follow me, if you want to follow me, you have to serve others. So let's begin to think about what this means for us by way of application. I think we've seen that Jesus, while he has given us and them many points to ponder, there's one main point that is reiterated in this large section, and, and it's this. Jesus says, to follow me, to follow me, you must serve others. To follow me, you must serve others. And so let me suggest a couple ways that we can do that as we think about our lifestyle, as Jesus tells us to be great in his kingdom, in his eyes, means that we lay our lives at the feet of others. Number one, to serve others, I must define greatness rightly. Jot that down if you're taking notes. To, to serve others, I must define greatness rightly. That was their problem. That was what they were not doing. They thought greatness meant other serves others. Other people serve us. And Jesus says, no, greatness means you serve others. In my kingdom, greatness is defined by service. And so I want to ask you this question. How do you define greatness in your own life? How do you define greatness? Is it more like the disciples or is it more like Jesus? Do you think that you or others are great because they are served by others, because they have power or money or prestige or fame? Or is true greatness, I mean, what you want to be in life Is it defined by how Jesus defines greatness, which is, I make myself a servant and a slave to anyone, and I'm willing to do anything for anyone. Some of us, including myself, 
think we need to redefine what greatness looks like. And I think when we begin to look at our daily choices, our daily perspectives, it helps us to understand if we are defining greatness properly or not. And so let's take a look at whether we're defining greatness or not in, say, three areas of life. So let's take the first. In the home, are you defining greatness properly in the home? If you think in terms of who in your home gets to serve you, Men, if you think in terms of who gets to do what you want to do, if you think in the home in terms of rank or authority, and authority is not bad, authority for your benefit, if you think in terms of what you can get out of the people in your home instead of who you're going to serve, how you're going to use your authority to better them or what you can put into people as opposed to get out of people, then maybe you need to redefine greatness in your home. Secondly, what about at work? What does it look like for us to redefine greatness at work? Are you willing to do that which nobody else is willing to do? Are you willing to do the little things, the jobs that the other employees, nope, not going to touch that, nope, that's the low man on the totem pole, nope. If you begin to think in those terms, then maybe you're just defining greatness wrongly because instead of doing that, true greatness says, nothing is below me. I will do any job. I will do anything for anyone. That's what true greatness in the workplace looks like. Thirdly, what about at church? If you think in terms of power at church, the greater you are, the more power you have at church. If you think in terms of influence, if you think of what I get if I'm getting my way at church, instead of how do I serve others, how do I equip others, how am I encouraging others, then maybe... We just have to redefine what greatness in the realm of church life looks like. So number one, I want to ask you again, how do you define greatness? I mean, truly, in your daily life, in your decisions, in every realm, is it what I get, what people do for me, or is it what I get to do for them? Secondly, not only must we redefine greatness or define greatness rightly, but secondly, we must be willing to serve anyone in any way. That's what I think Jesus is saying. He, in fact, he uses the terms for a household servant and for a slave. Now think about it in that culture. The two people in that culture, at least, who did everything for everybody else without any kind of interest for what they're going to get out of, it, out of it is the household servant and the slave. They did everything for others, and there was nothing that was below them. And so I want to ask you this question. Are you willing to serve anyone in any way? I mean, is there something that you just like, that's below me, that's below my pay scale, that's below my pay grade, I'm not willing to do that for you. What about in these three areas? First of all, at home. Guys, men, I'm going to talk to you about this. Are you willing to serve your wife uh, in a lot of different ways? And I I think initially we think, well, I, I, I pay the bills, I bring home the check. Good for you. You should do that. That's a wonderful way to serve your wife. But heads up, guys, like you need to serve her in other ways too, right? And so here is a challenge. Do you serve her by maybe meeting her emotional needs? And the guys are like, oh, great. What does this mean? Come, come to Men's Frat, and we'll, and we'll tell you how to do that, right? But are you serving her emotional needs? Are you speaking her love language? Are you complimenting her? Are you spending time with her? Are you engaging her in a way that she feels loved and encouraged? Are you serving her in the way that she wants to be served? not just bringing home a paycheck. Ladies, it goes your way too. 
Ladies, are you serving him uh, maybe by uh, meeting his need for companionship? I think one of the biggest needs for guys is what we call recreational companionship. We just want you to do stuff with us, okay? So maybe that means watch a football game on the couch, even if you read your book like my wife does sometimes. That's okay. You're still watching the game with me and rooting for my team. Maybe it's going out on the boat when it's time to do that, and you're holding the stink bait for your husband, and he's fishing, and you're doing that with him. It's a Talk about doing anything for anybody, right? There it is, holding the stink bait, right? Uh, whatever it is, maybe it's sitting up in the deer blind and being with him. I want to encourage you guys to think about at home and what it looks like to do anything for anyone. Uh, and so in the home. Uh, secondly, what about, what about at work? What does it look like to be willing to do anything for anyone? I, I said it before and I say it again. At work, is it, that's your job, that's not my job. That's your pay scale, that's not my pay scale. I'm the boss, you do this, I do that. Or is it, are you willing to maybe give somebody a day off when they want it? Maybe you want that holiday, they want that holiday. Are you willing to give it? Are you willing to serve them? in the workplace? And what about at church? There's a lot of ways that we need people to serve at church who are willing to do anything for anyone, like serve in the nursery where there are babies who are crying and pooping and, you know, fussy and those kind of things. You know, we need people to do things like that and a whole slew of other things at church. But at church, let me ask you, when you see something, you're like, that needs to be done. Nobody's meeting that need. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to serve anyone in any way? I'll brag on Jane Berger, if that's okay with you, Jane. I didn't ask you. I'm going to brag on you. Uh, This week, uh, we had men's fraternity on Monday, and uh, I cooked, and hopefully no one got sick, uh, but I cooked, and uh, we ate, and I wanted to get home, and so I left all of the dirty dishes there, and I thought, I'll get them later in the day. Well, later in the day came and went, and Monday went by, and I did not do the dishes, and so I left all of the dirty dishes there, uh, and I thought, oh, okay, I'll do it on Tuesday. No big deal, right? And so I, I come to the office on Tuesday, and I, I didn't get here as early as, as Jane did, and I, I hear something going on, and I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to go. Maybe she's making coffee. And so I'm going, and, and there is our wonderful uh, administrative assistant, Jane, doing my dishes. <laughs> she's, she's scrubbing uh, old crusty egg off forks, and she's getting off greasy, uh, you know, uh, uh, bacon-filled, you know, cooker stuff, just gross stuff. And I'm like, Jane, I didn't mean for you to do that. I, I intended to do it. She's like, that's okay, you know. I'm willing to do that. I'm, I'm going to do that. I said, that's, that, I'm pretty sure that wasn't in your contract, was it? She's like, that's okay. And that was just a wonderful example, thank you, Jane, of not, you know what, that's not in her contract. We don't pay her to do my dishes, but she did it. And, uh, and a wonderful example of being willing to do anything for anyone. And so today, Jesus Christ says to follow me. If you want to follow me, then you must be willing to serve others. Before we close, and we're going to close in song, and I'm going to ask one of our elders, Jay or Dan, whoever gets to the mic first, I'm going to ask you guys to come pray in, in just a second. But I want to make something very clear. Look at verse 45 with me as we wrap up. It's a pivotal verse in the gospel. Jesus identifies himself as the ultimate servant, and he says that before you can serve me, I have to serve you. Look at verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what he's saying is is this. Listen, before you go out to serve me, I have come to serve you. I have come to give my life for you. I have come to die for you. I have come to ransom you. That is to to buy you out of debt, to buy you out of prison. 
I have come to serve you. Will you believe in me? Will you trust in me? Will you, ex- will you accept the service of my life that I'm giving for your sins so that when I rise, you can believe in me by faith and faith alone, not anything you could do, not anything you can trust in other than me. I've come to serve you. And I want you to know that you can't serve Jesus until he serves you first. And I want you to know that if you're here and you're like, oh, I just need to serve Jesus and then he'll be happy with me and and I need to do all of these things. Okay, that's great. But if you're here and you've not been born again, you've not received Jesus Christ as your personal savior, then he says, you can do anything and everything for me and I will not accept it because I have come to serve you. (laughs) Our service for Jesus is born out of his service for us. And so we must receive his service be born again, be changed, and then follow him on the road. And I want to ask as we close, have you done that? Have you been born again? Have you received the service of Jesus Christ as Patrick testified he has earlier today and been changed by Jesus' act of service for you? It's not what you could do for him, it's what he could do for you. And if you've not, that's where it begins. That's where it begins. So let's do this. Dan or Jay, one of you, come on up. I know I didn't ask you to but come on up. Come pray for us and we're gonna, we're gonna close in song and we're gonna sing a song of service. And so, Jay, thanks for taking the, taking the reins on that.